Welcome everybody to the OptiForm podcast. We have today Steve Hall on the podcast. What's up, brother? I am good, thank you. And uh, yes, uh, I don't know. I was going to say Steve Hall always sounds funny in an American accent. They always say it a bit <laughs> funny. So Steve Hall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can tell that you probably get um, a lot of different accents uh, from all your content stuff like that because you're over in the UK, right? Yeah, over here in London. So. Yeah, we're we're surviving. We haven't been hit too bad by the virus just yet, but it's spreading. <laughs> well, if uh, you're new to the Optiform podcast, this podcast is all about optimizing performance um, in the sense of bringing high-level coaches, influential people in the fitness realm, all resources to give you guys the tools um, to reach your balance goals, muscle gaining goals, um, or if you're involved in contest prep, uh, we like to involve everything uh, to really help you guys. So. I want to give a little bit of background about Steve today. I'm super pumped to get him on here because I've been watching him, honestly, for the last four or five years. I just told him before we hopped on here. And um, he has a crazy physique. I love it, dude. Uh, and he's completely natural. He's a natural, competitive natural uh, competitor. And um, I saw on your website, you know, in 2017, you got a top five placing in the, the UKD uh, FBA. Um, and then uh, you've been training for 10 years, and he's been coaching – one-on-one high-level people for about five years, but we also just talked about um, before we hopped on here that um, he's included a membership site just launched in what, January, you said? Yeah, just launched this year. And he's got hundreds of people coming in there. You guys can check him out on Instagram. Um, you can check out his YouTube or his podcast. He has very, very valuable information with that's actually science-based. And that's why I really wanted to bring him on today is he tells the actual truths. He cuts out the bullshit. And um, I'm very excited to have you on, brother. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I have, yeah, I'm very excited to have a chat. And yeah, thank you for the the really uh, great introduction. <laughs> yeah, dude, you got to give respect, respect is due, right? So um, I, I would just question whenever someone says I have a great physique, I'm always like, huh, who are you comparing to? Because there's some ridiculous <laughs> physiques out there now. <laughs> I had... Um, What's his name? Uh, Slack. Uh, Steve. Steve uh, what's oh, I know. Yeah, I've forgotten his first name now. Why? Sam. Sam Slack. Sam Slack. Um, and uh, he's over in UK too, I believe. Um, I had him on. The I've podcast. competed against Sam. Yeah. He yeah. destroyed me. He's, a, he's like huge though. He's I mean, a unit. A lot of muscle mass. <laughs> My first ever show, I competed against Sam, and he won the the novice MPA show. It was, and yeah, he's a super humble guy. Yeah, really good guy. Really knowledgeable, but really good guy. So there's a common trend here in the science-based community. Seems like some good guys. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> anyway, so today I wanted to hop in with you. It is a little bit about um, training periodization uh, with contest prep. And so I want to go in today a little bit about going into an off-season, going into um, actually the contest prep itself, um, of how we go about structuring volume, kind of some strategies that you like to do or, or what you see. I know it's going to be individual to each client. Um, I can already tell that answer is coming. But um, <laughs> I want to know kind of like, and I think a lot of our viewers are, are usually asking, okay, I'm training heavy here or higher reps here, or they're trying to do progressive overload, or now there's like you're trying to figure out what is the perfect thing for them, right? And so I want to ask you with your clients or for yourself, um, when you're like in an off season and you're thinking about, okay, here's my timeline and I want to start a prep 
let's get ready for it. Maybe you don't just say, hey, I want to compete in uh, a year, and you just start dieting or you just start, like, structuring everything. Maybe you slowly go into it. I don't know. But what is kind of your thought process in an off-season of how you structure um, your training and, and usually how long you go with your blocks or how long you go with each phase? Just kind of give us some insight on that. So I guess I can attack the question of when we know of like we want to compete at a certain time, how do we structure things in the lead up to that? And then maybe we can talk a little about a bit about the kind of off season, how that might look as well. So if I know, and now I don't know what it's like in the US, but at least in the UK, the shows are pretty much the same time each year. So if you look at the year just gone by, you kind of know the Southern UKDFBA, whatever it might be, is going to be at this date. So you can kind of plan backwards from that month, at least, knowing that you should be able to be ready from that. And I think this idea of planning backwards and putting periodization into bodybuilding is relatively new, um, but it's being used by the top coaches now. I'm always surprised, like you said, I run uh, the Revive Stronger podcast. And I talk to these like, high-level coaches like Cliff Wilson, um, like Mike Isratel, Eric Helms, Valentin Tambosi, some kind of the top guys out there. And it's crazy to me that when I'm asking them questions, they're all coming to very similar lines of thought and the same line of thought as what I've come to, which is very like great. Like you don't want it to be an echo chamber, but each of these guys have kind of come to this conclusion through different ways of doing things and uh, not necessarily come to it the, the same way, which I think is also great because it just shows that, that that kind of gives further evidence that this may well be a good way to do things. So yeah, periodization for bodybuilding is just something relatively new. Uh, previously, it was just like, I don't know, old school bodybuilding. And a lot of people, when they really like dumb down bodybuilding, it's just like, oh, train hard and just like train harder over time. Muscle confusion, like make sure you're doing something different every single week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can throw in those things into the mix and it gets super confusing. Asparagus, like causes you to dry out, whatever you want to do. Like, and then you're just like, what the hell? Like this. <laughs> this all sounded simple and now you're throwing this random like science at me and tilapia and whatever it might be and the the good thing is though i think a lot of bodybuilders have drawn maybe from powerlifting but certainly from like strength training this kind of periodized concept where we can put our training and nutrition and they can complement one another and we can have blocks and so if we think about also the fact that we know fat loss is hard and it gets harder and as we get to ward stage and we're really trying to get the last bits of muscle, uh, sorry, fat off, it gets incredibly hard. And more and more data is also coming out to suggest that non-linear dieting approaches, so not just I'm 200 pounds, I need to get to 150 pounds, I'm just going to go there in one go and just be in a deficit the whole time. Actually breaking that up and having periods of time where you're at maintenance to allow some of this kind of diet fatigue that's building up to dissipate is just so, so powerful. And not only that, but what is bodybuilding about? It's not just about bringing in that condition or rather that condition is also brought about by having high levels of muscle mass. And that's the trick, having that high condition with that high level of muscle mass. And so there's also ways to periodize your training to make sure that we're retaining or growing as much muscle as possible. And that needs to be periodized as well for the best kind of way to do things. So planning is super important. So planning backwards from your show to give yourself enough time to lose the fat and have that nonlinear breaks within the training as well um, is uh, it, within the nutrition, sorry, is also important. And I think a lot of people end up thinking, I don't know, they just hear these rules of thumb that like, again, dummy down bodybuilding, oh, 20 week prep, 16 week prep, 12 week prep. And they just think, 
okay, that's just what we do. And they don't think about, okay, how far above stage weight am I? What is my predicted stage weight? How much fat do I have to lose? How realistic is this for me? Is this my first prep, second prep? So all of those things take into account. Like if, if it's your first prep, you may well think I'm 20 pounds above stage weight. You're probably 30 and you probably need double the time that you're giving yourself. So that 16 week prep is now come to a 32 week prep. So it's just making sure that you're educated enough when you get into it. Weirdly, like bodybuilding is an extreme sport, but no other extreme sports I don't think you would just get into without having any awareness of the risks involved. And I don't think many people realize the risks involved with bodybuilding, like eating disorders. I mean, to get down to like shredded condition for a a natural bodybuilder, eating disorders are part of the process. You're going to have disordered eating. Now there's recovery processes and we can talk about that as well to make sure that we're not getting kind of to an unhealthy position, but it's just a lot of people don't realize it. And a lot of people don't realize how hard getting to those lean levels is and how bad you should or shouldn't feel. And at certain stages, if you're feeling terrible and you're still 20 pounds above stage weight, then maybe this isn't the year for you to compete. Maybe you need to take a break and do another one. So yeah, for me, if a a competitor's coming to me, they're showing me their physique. Maybe we have an estimate of what their stage weight needs to be or what their previous stage weight was and whether or not that's realistic. And then we're planning backwards. And generally, and there was actually um, a recent study came out with uh, Eric Helms, Brandon Roberts, Peter Fitchin, and I don't want to forget uh, who else was on it. There was one other person. I really apologize to that person. They won't be listening. <laughs> but there was one other person also on it, um, another natural bodybuilder probably. And they just looked at, kind of the summary of like natural bodybuilding competitor guidelines and one of those is kind of rate of loss so a lot of people just hear i need to lose like a pound or two pounds a week and they just think this is standard but there could be two months three months of your prep where you're losing less than a pound a week because what was found within their research is that for you to retain as much muscle as possible you want to be losing between up to like 0.5 percent and below when you're really lean under 10 percent body fat because we've got less body fat to lose, the risk of muscle loss is so much higher. So you need to realize that you can't be losing at those aggressive paces the whole way. So rate of loss will be periodized as well. So at the start, when you have lots of fat to liberate, you can lose at 1% of body weight per week. So one to two pounds is completely reasonable. But as you're dieting and you're losing that fat, the body's more, you're risking more and more losing muscle if you end up still pushing that hard and that pace. So again, you need to build in that rate of loss so you may only be losing a couple of pounds over a month, whereas before you were losing a couple of pounds over a week. So at the start, you can go nice and quick. That slows down and tapers down as you're getting leaner and leaner. And you may even decide you're so far above stage weight. And this has just happened to me. I've uh, lost 20 pounds. I was a 200 pounds. My stage weight is actually 165 pounds. So if I had to go all the way down linearly to that uh, level of leanness, the diet fatigue would massively build up. I'd be a moody yeah. asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, I'm glad you bring that up. Uh, that's a huge thing I see, especially my, well, I'm from the Northwest uh, in the United States um, and there's not a lot of natural communities. There's some obviously NPC and stuff, but um, more I kind of expand in the whole Western hemisphere. Um, the shorter preps seem to still be the old school 12, 16, 20 week preps are still pretty popular. And I noticed that um, even especially first time competitors, but even some seasoned competitors, because they're just, that's the only thing they know. 
um, they don't realize what they're risking, I guess, because for some reason, well, usually every time, you set yourself up for a prep and you project your stage weight, but like you just said, what I've noticed and what I've been mentored by Cliff is it's usually a little 10 pounds less <laughs> or somewhere in there, right? And so um, then you don't give yourself enough time, but you're still trying to push for that timeline date that you set, which I don't think is necessarily the, the best decision, but then uh, you usually see them losing slower in the beginning, a pound, uh, maybe, a pound maybe, maybe a little more, but usually like a pound, like, okay, I'm progressing, they hit a plateau or whatever and they start pushing harder and harder and they realize that they're not lean enough yet. So then they got to push harder and just, um, they're usually losing faster at the end, which is not the ideal situation like you're talking about here. So I think it all comes down to exactly what you said, reversing the contest prep and say, okay, I want to, that's why I push fast first. Usually I'll go and I'll, if you want to call it a mini cut or if you just want to call it pushing fast first to see how fast your body, your metabolism adapts over time, right? And to see how far you can get to still a high enough body or a decent body fat percentage where you can see that diet break, like you said, you can really see where you're at with fatigue levels, your calorie levels, your, you know, whatever. And then you can kind of set yourself up, I think, for more conservative phase, I call it for a prep, is losing at a slower pace. But usually that, depending on, because my metabolic flexibility is like really great. So it kind of sucks because I have to go really, I get to go really high in the off season but really low Same. In, the, in the dieting phase. But, um, but you just got to see all that stuff. And for people who are just like new, I guess, first-time competitors, maybe they don't understand this yet. But also at the same time, if you've never done a dieting phase, please don't think that you're going to do this contest prep all of a sudden, right? Like if you've never done a dieting phase or understood any of it, um, I think the mental part of it is what's going to lead to potentially, like you said, eating disorders or stuff like that. Um, because I love the guys, like for example, my clients have been uh, – like wrestlers and stuff like that, they know the mental aspect of just like keep going till you're dead pretty much. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, is um, they don't understand the whole process. Uh, and so if they're just used to killing themselves, doing a 12, 16 week prep, they make it, but the rebound usually is pretty. Extreme. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, you brought up so many things you could just talk about, but particularly that last point, I mean, and the whole, I've seen it and it's, it's actually gut wrenching when you see it. When you have, and sometimes you can't, even if you're trying to be your best, you can't stop it happening. And sometimes it just happens and I, that's bad. But if you haven't planned for it to actually be losing slower and then speed up the rate of loss towards the end is just, that's the worst position you can be in because you're really risking muscle loss when you're trying to, you should be tapering it down. Or if even the best position to be in is building up calories, if you even could be doing that, that would be fantastic. And then like you said, the rebound is huge. And that's part of the losing kind of like 40 pounds, 30 pounds all in one go. You could do that in the best way possible, but it, that's a huge amount to have left behind and kind of like a shadow following you. And I think in those positions with the goal, people can do it. And there's some people with that mindset that can just gut that out. But nine times out of 10, I see these guys after their show, they binge their faces off. They put it all back on and more. And now they're in like the worst shape of their life. And you're just, they, they feel terrible. And now they want to do a mini cut. And you're like, yeah, you're not in the right position to be doing that because you're still actually under recovered from the prep because it's not just body fat. Uh, there's time involved with some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So that's where I've noticed that too. When it seems to me, I, for my last prep, uh, I did one, I competed last uh, spring and um, ended up, it was very cool. I got to win the overall. 
uh, for classic in the Northwest where I'm from. Nice. But I noticed that I, I've always done in the past, like this is like right when I first got into competing and I wasn't really coaching yet. I was just, I had a coach and it was more old school and definitely not a macro approach, but like, eat, you know, sample meal plan and stuff like that, which I respect anybody. They have their different kind of ways of going about it. I don't do it that way anymore because just be mentored from Cliff and more understanding the whole mental part of it. But um, as well as all the other research we can go into with micronutrients and everything with just diversity and meal choices. But um, I've noticed that I started my prep out 40, 50, I don't even remember how many weeks out it was, but it was a, it was a long time. And before I've only done like 12, 16 week preps. When I first, when I wasn't coaching, when I didn't know anything, I was just trying to absorb information. I wanted to do it. And I got a, got there in time, but I noticed that, yeah, the, the, you know, leptin ghrelin, the, the hormonal part of it, of just killing yourself at the very end, made it very, very easy to want to binge even more. Um, but I noticed mentally for this last show, yeah, I was hungry. And, I, you know, you go into a state of starvation, you do. Um, and you go into a state of mental mind games and all that kind of stuff at the very end, for sure. Um, and that's what you're going to grow on. But I think that the hunger part of it, um, I was a lot better about managing it post-show. I didn't binge one time. I did a perfect, like a perfect, I, we can call it recover, reverse, whichever avenue you want to go. Um, I did more of a in-between, like a reverse more, more so this time because I wanted to see, like I was still, I knew that I was going to be suppressed for a little bit longer. But at my uh, recovery part of it, I got my calories up very, very quickly, like I said, because I have faster metabolic adaptation. So I got my calories up very quickly, but maintain a very low body fat percentage for a very long time. Um, just because I wanted to, like, I'm a, a science nerd, you know, like I want to write it down and, and, and see experiments on myself. But I think that um, it was easier to do that, be consistent even post-show, because I went slower into the show. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think um, even in just gen pop, if there's anyone gen pop listening, this non-linear dieting approach where you have periods of time within a diet that are taken to maintenance. So maybe they're a diet break, which is just a maintenance period, not like I'm just not dieting. I'm going to eat whatever I want. It's just calories are taken to a maintenance intake. What that's doing is allowing you to practice maintenance. That's like it. And it's challenging those diet breaks within like a contest prep. If you ever have a week where you're just eating at maintenance, it's kind of, you almost don't want to take it because you're like, oh, it's, it's kind of harder to just allow myself to eat 3000 calories and stop there than it is to eat 2000 calories and be kind of fine because I know I'm moving towards my fat loss goal. Because as soon as you open the floodgates a little bit, they tend to want to open more. Yeah. you're still kind of on that lead you haven't been taken off your leash you've just let it extend a little bit and you just run a run you want to run free but you're still in prep you're still in your diet so it causes you to kind of learn the skills to manage that and i think those skills you develop there allow the post-show period to be way more manageable yeah well that's i know we just switched into more of a nutritional and kind of weight loss phase of it. i love it there's so much stuff we can talk about but going back to more of the training blocks and prioritization because I know that, you know, I just learned from Cliff and other coaches and myself, um, we try to keep the volume because you're trying to reverse engineer it from the show backwards. I like that. And so I've noticed that a lot of coaches have different opinions on keeping the volume the same, going all the way into the show, reducing the volume. Um, and then there's coaches I like to listen to that it depends on the amount of fatigue because um, you're already 
overreaching potentially you're, you know, you're in a very depleted state. Um, where do you like to reverse engineer that? Like, how do you like to look at volume and all that kind of stuff going into the show versus, um, maybe the start of prep? Cool. Yeah. I think, um, at least the evidence-based community is becoming to more of the consensus that dropping volume for the sake of intensity probably isn't the way to go anymore. I think previously that probably was what people were doing. Um, whereas now it's becoming more and more obvious that you can work with a wide range of intensities, absolute intensities. So anywhere from like five to 30 repetitions, so long as you're going as close enough to failure that you're going to provide a hypertrophic stimulus if you've got sufficient dose in your volume. And the way I like to conceptualize um, volume is via the volume landmarks that Mike Isretel uh, kind of created. And uh, they include like minimum effective volume. So the least volume you need to do to grow up to max recoverable volume. So the most you can do and recover from. And I in between that there, we've, yeah, that was and in between there, you've got your maximal adaptive volume. And when we haven't got a surplus or when we're in a calorie deficit, muscle protein breakdown is larger. So to circumvent that, the other kind of side of the coin that we've got is nutrition and we've got training. So training can help provide more of an anabolic stimulus. So our minimum effective volumes actually start coming up. So we need even more muscle, uh, sorry, even more training volume to grow. The likelihood of growing in a deficit isn't huge, um, especially for more advanced trainees like bodybuilding competitors or when you haven't got much body fat to liberate to put towards kind of growth. It's just unlikely. It's not like you're going to grow into the show, unfortunately, um, as a natural competitor. <laughs> I wish we could. Um, so actually volume requirements could come up, but like you said there, the ability to recover is super important because you can't just add volume because if now you're coming in and your performance is going down, that by definition means you're not recovering. Uh, recovery in terms of the context of hypertrophy is a recovery of performance. You need to be at least matching performance to be thought as recovered. So our max recoverable volume, so the most we can recover from, comes down because we're in a deficit. We're in a calorie deficit, so we just have less energy reserves, like a, having less of a full battery. So the window of kind of opportunity between minimum effective volume and maximum recoverable volume and this period between them where we can grow becomes much much smaller because that minimums come up the max has come down so now we just have like a baseline of volume that is somewhat higher and the position you don't want to get in but could happen in prep is where you can't even recover from minimum effective volume maybe your minimum's higher than your maximum recoverable so now you're actually going into training and you're having to train with less volume than you can possibly grow from so then you could even lose muscle and i mean this contest preps i mean what they call case studies where people have lost muscle going into shows and to get to those really lean levels that might happen for some people, but it's really extreme to the latter end of prep. So for me it is like you said there, it's being aware that you're in a deficit, your recovery capability is going to be less. You need to take um, a lot of people end up managing their sleep, their stress, their nutrient timing way better when they're in prep because they get their ass in gear. So they actually manage to maintain pretty decent volumes but particularly towards the end where you might have been quite progressive with your training in an off season, you can't be that progressive in a contest prep. You still want your training to look like a similar to your off season because what, what built the muscle is going to maintain the muscle, but you just don't have the same recovery reserves. You might have to have less volume, uh, which is just part and parcel of the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And so in with your, less volume uh, like you're saying do you like to transition any sort of 
frequency or anything like that to try and, and help with that process. Um, I don't know what you see per individual with recovery is kind of what the main stem here is what we're talking about. Um, do you like to mess with any of that kind of stuff? Because I know I like that, um, that podcast you did, um, you know, five to 30 rep range now. I mean, there's so much more evidence coming in and I like the maximum uh, recoverable volume and, and um, all that kind of stuff. And so there's, there's people, there's training out there that are doing more than what they can recover from. So there's kind of like a waste is what you're saying. Right. And so how do you kind of gauge that and, and at the end or even during and like, where do you, do you like to try and, and look at the person like, okay, you're just not recovering at all. Like, you know, do, how do you like to switch things around? Is it more of a frequency based kind of switch or, or, or what? So the ten, the way I tend to set up a mesocycle at least. So a, a block of training is I like to start that first week at someone's minimum effective volume or there or thereabouts. And the way I'm gauging that is, through a lot of biofeedback, but also through previous experience from their training. So in their off season, say they started a mesocycle, it was 10 sets per muscle group for the week. And that was kind of the minimum effective volume. Maybe now they're dieting, that's come up a little bit. So maybe I've assumed it's maybe 12 sets now. And then I'm asking them in terms of kind of how much of a kind of pump are they getting in the gym? How much soreness and muscle damage are they feeling like they're getting kind of these, this biofeedback that might be associated with hypertrophy and if they're getting like no pumps and they're getting no damage which does happen um towards the end of prep where you just can't get a pump because you're just glycogen depleted and this is the time where you may be risking muscle loss because you just you can't get a sufficient training stimulus because you're just you're like a, a dead piece of meat to, to your training you just have nothing there uh so i'm getting that feedback and then from there i'm seeing how they're responding their, to their training are they is their performance stable or improving? Are they recovering between sessions or are they seeing like overlapping soreness or overlapping just fatigue? Are they feeling like going to the leg sessions and feeling tired? And if they are seeing that kind of fatigue leading into sessions, I might reduce volume down to open up kind of recovery reserves so they can keep performing well. But if they're still recovering well and they're nailing everything, their sleep's good, and we might be able to progress things up still. So that's how I tend to manage their training volume. But like you said there, you can do things like manipulate training frequency. That could be a way to try and get more training volume in there because I don't know about you, but because you can't create such an overload and a demand on your body, you tend to recover quite quickly. So you might move from twice daily tra uh, sorry, training muscle groups twice per week to maybe three times per week. That can certainly be a way to try and keep that volume there. And something I definitely do more frequently is I tr tend to transition people from kind of lower repetitions to higher repetitions. Yeah. So in their first mesocycle, we might be focused on that kind of eight to 12 repetition zone. And then in their latter mesocycles, it might be like, we're using more like 20 repetitions because they're just easier to pump out when you're super fatigued and you're really tired, getting under a heavy like five rep max or like 10 rep max is like, or a deadlift, it's just hell. So I'm transitioning people towards these more kind of forgiving uh, ways of accumulating volume. And the same with exercise selection, it might be that you start prepping, you're doing like a high bar squat. But by the time you're like 20 pounds down, you might be like, this high bar squat is killing me. I'm like more so feeling it in my hips and in my back rather than my quads. So, okay, we can improve the stimulus to fatigue ratio of that movement, pick a hack squat or maybe a Smith machine squat, a leg press. And towards the end of prep, you might look like a, a, 
out and out bodybuilder because now you're using all the machines, high repetitions, pump sets, whatever you need to do to try and sustain as much volume and get as much stimulus to the muscle groups and less kind of fatigue generated to sustain as much volume as possible. That tends to be my approach. Yeah, no, and that's, I love that. And thank you for explaining all that stuff. <clears throat> um, I had a old coach said, cause I tore my ACL like, I don't know, three, four years ago. And I was trying to rehab it and do all the rebuilding part of PT. And, and um, I wanted to get back and squat again, barbell squat, right? <clears throat> and I just couldn't get my dorsiflexion. I mean, my knees, I mean, everything, my hips were just not working how they used to because of just all the stuff that's happened. Um, and so I, I, I was getting pissed and he came up and he told me, you know, what are you trying, why are you trying to squat? What is so important about squatting? I'm like, well, I'm trying to build my legs. He's like, well, you're not a, you're not a power lift. You're not trying to just lift weight. You're trying to body build. You're trying to stimulate the certain areas to grow. Right. And so there's plenty of other ways you can do that. Try this hack squat, try this, whatever. And it sounds like what I'm going with this is a lot of times I feel like we get so uh, comfortable in our certain ways sometimes where you're doing the same thing over and over again, like you're squatting, which is fine. But then there comes like the psychological part of prep where like you said, you get underneath the bar and you're like, shit, this is going to suck. Right. But we need to be uh, mindful of that because we still need to hit that training volume or that stimulus that you're talking about to keep preserving the muscles as best as we can. So with that, switching that, just a simple exercise selection is what you're saying, can help keep the stimulus where it needs to be just because of you're going into it with more confidence than the other one, right? I think, I think that's super crazy what you're talking about. Yeah, the mindset is huge because in your off season, you've got, I don't know, a, a bigger waist and so you're, and you've got like fatter glutes, fatter quads, you're just a bigger person. So your leverages can change. And also when we think about like range of motion, you now think about the fact that on a barbell bench press, you had these massive glutes giving you a shorter range of motion and a fatter chest. And now you're like a tiny skeleton and you've got a way larger range of motion. And then you're seeing your numbers drop. And it's just un unrealistic to expect to retain the same numbers as your off season on those big barbell lifts. And we get attached to numbers. I personally do. And when I see them coming down, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this means I'm losing so much muscle. But if they're coming down and then you're maintaining that, that's not necessarily losing muscle. And then you might decide, okay, so barbell squats are just beating me up more. I haven't got as much kind of like fat between the synovial joints. And like, I just feel like that's just beating me up more than I'm getting like good muscle stimulus from it. You might be able to pound away and feel safe within a hack squat, like you said, or a leg press. And now you're not attached to the numbers so much because no one really screams and shouts about like their like hack squat, like five rep max or 10 rep max or something. They talk about the back squat. So if you just remove that, it kind of is like, oh, that's liberating. Now I can just concentrate on doing the work and making sure I'm stimulating the muscles. I think you can easily get caught up in the numbers. So absolutely, the, the mental side of prep is so huge. And I mean, that's, that's the biggest part of the battle because sometimes you can be surprised. The body can do stuff. It's just whether your mind will get it into the position to allow it to do that. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree more. And so um, I guess a little bit of like a last topic because we went through first engineering it from prep, looking at recover, how you can recover or what you need to shoot for when recovering, um, exercise selection a little bit, the mental part of it. So everybody's listening. And so I'm, I'm hoping that they're taking some of this and not 
just drawing out a blueprint of what exactly what's going to happen because they're going to be changing it over time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but where do you stand? There's a lot of different opinions I hear on this, and that is with um, more so of deloading in the bodybuilding community, more bodybuilding movements, not just like powerlifting, lower, you know, <clears throat> muscular repetition, but where do you stand with that um, for the people that are listening? So for me, um, deloads are one of the really good things that we took away from powerlifters because they do their, I know the first time I deloaded was doing five, three, one, and you'd do like fives, threes, ones, and then deload, and then you'd go up again. And I think uh, that was really helpful for our bodybuilding because what we know is when we train hard and we create a stressor, we accumulate fatigue. And this fatigue accumulates week after week after week because we're progressively overloading. We're trying to train harder and harder and harder, and we're getting this accumulation. So whereas in the first week of your training, it's really low, after more time, it's building up higher and higher. And we have something called the fitness fatigue model. So this is, has fitness and it has fatigue. And as we train hard, we see fitness improve week on week, but also fatigue is increasing. The difference between these two is our performance. So if we're seeing like better performance or level performance, we can be pretty sure that our fitness and fatigue is in a good place. But after many weeks, our fatigue starts rapidly outpacing our fitness and therefore performance starts to drop and this can be thought as like mrv because max recoverable volume is the best the most volume you can do and recover from and if you've overdone that then performance drops and so that's where fitness has been outpaced by fatigue and at this point what do you do do you just go into the gym and see like have shitty training and train with the pink dumbbells and nothing else and you just cry and go home and you just keep doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks you don't this is the perfect time to let that fatigue drop off, maintain that fitness so that you come out with greater performance. So that's where a deload can be really, really great. After many weeks of accumulating hard training, kind of have this ability to recover and come out better. And then there's several approaches to deloading. For me, the most important thing is that you're letting that fatigue drop down. The worst thing you can go and do is start increasing your volume or increase the intensity going into the gym and training like a madman when you just don't have the performance to even do well you're going to risk injury you're going to come into your next mesocycle feeling like crap so if you feel like you can't go into the gym and just do like essentially light weights and low volume taking days off can be great you're going to drop tons of fatigue yeah how do you like to deload it because i know there's reduction in you know 50 percent of your volume or whatever for a week your standard or whatever but I know like with Cliff or other coaches, they'll say, you know, maybe those movements aren't as intense as like a powerlifting movement. Maybe there's different stuff now with muscle fatigue and stuff like that, uh, stimulate the central nervous system. But sometimes it's taking two days off and then see where you feel or take another day off and just completely rest and not even go to the gym. There's just different ways I, I hear different coaches doing it. How do you like to yeah. reduce your volume? So my the way i tend to do it and i do it for myself and the clients who are happy to adhere to it this is the way i do it like you said at the start it's always individuals some people are just special snowflakes and they have to have it their special way which is fine um, i can do that but the way i tend to do it is i have a whole week so i yeah just take a whole week of deloading and i tend to constrain frequency so it might be that you're training five days a week but you're doing like an upper lower push pull legs you might decide, okay, I'm just going to go into the gym twice this week because volume's way down. So I can put all my kind of deload volume into two sessions. It's really easy. 
um, up to like a 50% reduction in load. It's like RPE 5 or no, yeah, or RAR, RPE 5, that works. So really far away from failure, totally easy training. I'm going to go in there, get some blood flow, go through the motions, keep my kind of fitness, my neurological kind of technique there with the movements. And then I'm going to have five days off to allow that fatigue to really drop off. And also like we've talked about the mind, psychologically it's tough going to the week having to beat numbers or like work hard train hard for weeks so it can be really refreshing just to have two days where you go in do some really light stuff get a pump get some blood flow and then the rest of the week just off so that's how i tend to do it i tend to bring volume down to maintenance volumes which is like about 60 percent of week one training volumes and then i just bring down intensity by up to 50 percent but i tend to work between like 100 to 50 percent and then like half your usual reps. That's how I tend to do it, which is like really far away from failure, totally easy training. And most people like initially, if they've never done a deload, really don't like the idea of doing that. But after a while, they're like, man, I love my deloads because the week before is like hell. So I need this deload. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's, I noticed that too, with the guys that are really driven, they're, they're so headstrong, you know, and, and we're like that with just wanting to keep progressing. And you're like, no, I can milk out another week. I can milk it out, but it's just not going to happen. So when, so for the last kind of thing with that DLO in contest prep, um, there's going to be probably like cues or trigger points or something that you're noticing the biofeedback that we were talking about of when to go into that. And also, <clears throat> giving yourself, yeah, I know you're going to go into giving yourself enough time because when you're in that deload phase, they're going to be probably the psychological part of, okay, well, I'm not progressing. I'm not being able to train. I'm not going to keep staying in a deficit or whatever, right? I'm not going to keep maintaining my muscle while I'm dieting. Like, where do you like to try to, uh, I guess, say when to use a deload? And um, is there a number that you, of like dieting phases or, or dieting, sorry, breaks, excuse me, um, that you like to go into that maybe you bring in a deload or, or different strategies, I'm guessing, for, for people that are in prep, how to not stress about doing a deload because they need to do it um, and, how to, and how to structure it in the prep, I guess you'd say. Cool. So yeah, I mean, like you said there, you've planned these ahead of time so you can explain to your client that they're going to be doing them. And by having that in place already, they're already a bit less stressed about it because they're expecting it. Whereas if you just go, yeah, we're deloading and you're doing barely any training and we're going to bring you up to maintenance calories, by the way, they're like, holy shit, coach, like I've been dieting hard and training hard. What the hell? (laughs) So if you can introduce that ahead of time, like, and like you said, I I do like to combine deload and diet breaks or bringing calories up to maintenance together because I mean, that's just such a holistic way to reduce uh, fatigue. Like you're reducing the diet fatigue, you're getting glycogen loaded again. And we're getting more and more evidence that's suggesting kind of refeeds in terms of like how powerful they are. A single day isn't doing too much. Two days is better. Three days is better. And it seems the more days is even better and better for reducing fatigue. And uh, there's more research coming in for natural bodybuilders and taking diet breaks, but they seem to make good sense. And like you said, like you don't want to risk muscle loss by reducing your volume. Like you need to reduce that volume to reduce the fatigue, to keep training hard, to maintain muscle. So we don't want to risk losing muscle by, again, keeping in a deficit. So it might be that you're early on in a diet and the first kind of deload and combined diet break, maybe you only kind of diet break for half that deload. And then the next one, you might take it as a complete diet break and deload as fatigue is accumulating. It becomes more important to do so. 
I tend to have them landing for someone who's going through a bodybuilding prep um, or even a physique prep or bikini, people who are quite advanced, they probably will be landing within every four to eight weeks where that deload will land, uh, more so towards like the week five, week six. Most people don't end up getting to like that eighth week, but for some bikini competitors, females, they tend to have just crazy recovery, recovery capabilities. And especially if they're newer to training, which often they are, they can tend to go for quite a while. And then, yeah, that's where I implement it to kind of reduce the, the training and nutritional fatigue and to keep them going and progressing towards their end goal. And again, it's just a discussion to them of this is like part and parcel of the process to be your best. We need to do this uh, and explaining to them the rationale, the reasons why. And some people like find it really hard and they're always going to find it hard, but it will lead to a more efficient and better fat loss in future. And when you explain it enough and they go through it enough times, they tend to get more and more comfortable with it. There are, could be cases where people are just like, it could just set them off onto a binge. I can see that, especially single day or double day refeeds. I could see that just like opens the, the, the tunnel to more food. So if that's the case, then I would continue to diet through it and it's not recommended and I wouldn't want to do it. But again, individualization, sometimes you have to do some stuff you wouldn't normally want to do. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I love, thank you for, for laying all that out. I think people who listen to this right now, I'm going to be able to take that, take everything you said and kind of conceptualize the training, even some nutrition part of it, of prep, um, a lot of a broader span than just here's the amount of weeks I'm out is I got to make it in this amount of time. I'm going to do a linear approach. It's just not the best approach anymore or at all ever. And so, uh, with what, you know, Steve is saying, like now, you know, more deloading approaches. So planning out ahead and it's okay to raise up your calories and to reduce your training for a sort you know, a period of time. Um, I think that it's going to shed light of, as you go deeper into prep, you're going to be glad that you did that. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So anyways, man, thank you so much for, for all the knowledge today and coming on here. Um, I really sincerely appreciate it. Um, I want you to say to everybody listening, like where can they find you, your podcast, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And if people are confused, they have any questions, then please do reach out. Probably the best place to reach me is revive stronger over on Instagram. Um, posting their daily probably on there far too much in fact uh, and then we have our podcast which is Revi the Revive Stronger podcast find on all pod providers iTunes Spotify it's on YouTube as well so it's a video podcast and we talk about a lot of this sort of stuff um, competing and things so that's very exciting and then revivestronger.com is our website so like you mentioned that's where people can kind of find out more about our online coaching our member site uh, and we have some articles up there as well and the podcast and everything is over there too. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. And guys, I'm going to link up all that stuff in the description box so you can feel free to reach out to him, follow him. Definitely um, check out all of his resources. Very, very good content. Uh, I love the podcast. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. So anyways, brother, thank you so much again and uh, we'll talk soon, huh? Cheers. <laughs>